Hello, everyone. Welcome to the newest episode of the Sun Sour Podcast, part of the Hockey Podcast. And we are sponsored by the Customized Sports, your one-stop shop for all your custom sports needs. If you already haven't checked it out, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, uh, either social medias, we have a contest going away that can give you a free kit for any reverse retro jersey that has been released. So definitely check out our social medias. And you can also... uh, do it through YouTube as well. You just comment what you want, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and then share the video. Greatly appreciated. Gives it a give it a thumbs up, subscribe, all that. But we got some interesting news going on in the sense world. We'll start off. Timmy Stutzla in Germany gets eliminated yesterday, but he had one hell of a tournament for an undermanned Germany team. You know, what was your uh, what's your opinion on Stutzla after that tournament? Yeah, I think he's right in that kind of MVP conversation. He, he's not going to get the nod because he's not part of um, whoever, you know, the final teams end up being. But uh, but he's right up there. I, I had, um, you know, Dylan Cousins and Trevor Zegras and Tim Stutzla kind of one, two, three. And I think you could kind of interchange that any way you want to. But he he was dominant. There's no other way we could say it. He had an extremely dominant tournament, um, again, coming off an injury, not having played hockey for, you know, as long as he did. Um, You know, same with the other players, too. They weren't playing hockey. So um, it's just, it's really impressive. He is a year younger than the other two players we mentioned as well, and Cousins and Zegras. So uh, to be up there with those guys, I wasn't expecting it coming into the tournament. Um, he definitely turned some heads and a lot of eyes are going to be on him uh, watching him at the NHL level now at the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. He definitely had a fantastic tournament. Ended the tournament with 10 points, 5 goals, 5 assists. Could have been more if Elias uh, buried that you know, open net early in, or halfway through the first period the other day against the Russians. I'm, I'm excited to see him in camp. I'm excited to see what he can bring to the Ottawa Senators once camp starts, what he can do to carry the momentum. We all know he has to quarantine for seven days due to NHL protocol, but I'm excited for what this kid can do. He's starting at wing, and I, I know they want to transition him to center, but what is the possibility that he just ends, like stays at a, as a winger? Like, is that very much a possibility that the Senators, you know, the, the organization and the fan base have to, to expect is that he just finishes off as a center or as a winger, I mean. Yeah, I think uh, part of that could be answered just by sheerly by the need that Ottawa will have. If they end up filling a void and they find, let's say they find a number one center, um, then, you know, there's no harm in keeping Tim Stutzla at the wing. He could he could be equally dominant. We've seen that in this tournament. He could be equally dominant driving play at the wing uh, than I think he could be at center. So, there's the potential that he does just stay on the left wing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think having a one-two punch of Stutzla and Kachuk uh, from the left side for, you know, X number of years will be something that uh, will define this team. Um, If he does end up moving to center, we'll see what he could do there. Um, There's some characteristics of his game that I think would probably be better suited as a winger. So I could see why they want to play him at the wing. He's not particularly invested in the defensive side of the game at this stage in his career. Um, I'll say that, you know, there's definitely a few times where he's cheating the zone a little bit. He's the first guy out. And, you know, if you're team Germany, you probably want that anyway, because he's your 
probably him and JJ Paterka and Elias had a nice, uh, really nice tournament as well, but he's your only hope at, you know, at creating offense. So uh, Ottawa will want to see a bit of a different Tim Stutzla. I could tell you that for sure. Definitely DJ Smith will want to see some sort of defensive commitment. And I think it's something he's capable of. I just think he knew in his own head, he's got to be the straw that stirs the drink for Germany. Um, so that's probably why we've seen that version of Tim Stutzla, you know, the guy trying to do everything out there for his team. Agreed. And I mean, he had, he did have some decent defensive zone uh, plays and, and making sure that he was uh, somewhat responsible in the defensive zone. I'm interested to see what happens if, you know, he's on a line with Stefan and possibly Colin, uh, uh, Connor Brown or Drake Batherson, what kind of role they put him in, in that kind of line. And, you know, is he going to be one of those guys where you're going to be looking out for a breakout pass every time he's on the ice, or are we going to see him? Like, we know he can throw the body. He can work the corners. You know, I'm excited to see what DJ Smith has in plan for him. And we won't know until like January 9th at the earliest, I believe is when he's available to join the boys on the ice. But I'm excited to see what he can do. And like, I know we talk about it often, you know, Paterka being, you know, not drafted by Ottawa, him and Stutzla having great chemistry. And a lot of people did bring it up, you know, how much was, is is Paterka benefiting from playing with a guy like, uh, from like Stutzla? Probably won't be able to tell unless until next year. Cause I wonder, you know, if Paterka is available next year to go to the worlds, I guarantee you Stutzla won't be, we're going to, he's going to have to step up next year to see, to prove everyone wrong. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot easier when you're not the guy. Um, you know, I, I said this on Twitter, but teams were game planning against Tim Stutzla and he was still able to beat them. I mean, that's just how good he was. But when you have one player that's so dominant, uh, especially, you know, much more dominant than the rest of the team, it's easy for teams like Canada. It's easy for teams like Russia did yesterday to game plan against you and take away your side of the ice. Um, I thought... Paterka did a great job in his own right. There was times away from Tim Stutzla that I thought he really did shine. Um, you know, he's he's a pretty physical player himself. He doesn't shy away from any areas of the ice. I think the bittersweet thing is that Robbie Arventi did not have a good tournament, if we're being honest. He, he had a pretty soft uh, tournament thus far. Uh, of course, Finland didn't get eliminated, so they're still in the mix. Uh, but Robbie Arventi has shown very little, and, and there was a lot of hype surrounding this kid prior to the tournament from watching his highlights. So uh, it, it's it's a tough pill to swallow when you watch Stutzla and JJ have so much potential together um, when it comes to Robbie Arventi kind of not having a good tournament, and that's kind of the guy that you took, you know, one of the guys that you took instead of JJ Paterka. It's really hard to imagine that he's the better player, but... I guess we have to keep in mind that Yarventi is one of the youngest players in this entire uh, tournament. Um, you know, he was one of the youngest draft eligible players, much like uh, Quentin Byfield. I think it's important to show that, like, outside of even Russia has struggled with it, but depth scoring across the tournament has not been very prominent. You know, Canada and the U.S. they're they're stacked top to bottom, so you expect there to be depth scoring. But if you're Russia, Finland, Sweden. Uh, most of these European countries, you're relying heavily on your top two lines. And I think Arventi, 
no one was expecting him to really be a top six player at this tournament because of, you know, there's a lot of returning players for Finland. They had guys who have a little bit more experience and he's been on the third line and it doesn't seem like, you know, overall there's been much depth scoring. And I think that's kind of what hindered Jarventi. He hasn't been put in those positions. He's on the power play, but not really. And it's just, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle, unfortunately. I think at the beginning of the tournament, though, he did have a shot to play with Anton Lundell, and it just kind of fizzled away like partway through the game. It didn't even last a whole game. And, you know, I was quick to point out that he was shying away from all the action. He was unwilling to get dirty. He was just kind of floating out there. He just seemed a little bit lost and a little bit overwhelmed. Um, But again, on the backside of this, we know he's a skilled player because we've seen what he could do in a great league in Finland, playing against men. So it's uh, it's important to realize that the World Juniors is such a small sample, and and we've said this before on this show, you don't sort of take the outstanding performances as this player is going to be a dominant player in the NHL, and you don't take the really weak performances as this player is going to be a complete bust. Like, you've got to find some middle ground because it's a small sample size. People are getting different roles on their teams. Um, Yarventi didn't even really have a role last game. Yeah, and I mean, looking at uh, Yarventi, it was his, I'm pretty sure it was his first tournament on North American ice, or one of his first tournaments on North American ice. You know, Lundell's been there. This is his third tournament, or second tournament. Would have been here last year if he didn't get hurt. I think that's also something that needs to be talked about, is that these guys aren't used to playing on North American ice. And then you have guys like Stutzel where it doesn't matter. But with Yarventi, his game is so much about getting lost in the shuffle and finding those open spots. It's a lot harder to do that when you're on North American ice, when you're so used to such a bigger ice surface over in Finland. And I think that's kind of where he got lost a little bit this tournament. You know, it would be nice to see Europe develop some kind of, or even the NHL meet them halfway and everyone kind of develops the same size ice surface so that we could stop having these huge differences and, and adjustments for some of these players coming back and forth like that. Um, Cause I think you're right. Especially with Yarventi, he does seem like a player that would benefit from more time and space right now. Uh, being a little bit hesitant. Um, it's probably overwhelming at how fast the game is played versus playing on the bigger ice surface. Yeah. And I mean, I, And I think goalies are also a big one that gets affected, right? You don't have a lot of European goalies coming over and dominating right away. You have very few goaltenders that do it. Obviously, guys like Samsonov and Vasilevsky, the Russians are very, you know, they're abnormal. They're not, they don't follow the rule. If you look at Lundqvist, he spent a couple of years over in Europe and then coming over. Hogberg, Gustafsson for Ottawa have, they, they took a little bit longer to develop because they had to get used to the North American ice surface. And if you're a goaltender, that's a whole other kettle of fish because your angles, your timing, everything is off when you're adjusting to that smaller ice surface. Personally, I would have loved to see the NHL go to a hybrid ice. I know a lot of the European leagues have it. Having it a little bit wider would open up the game so much more and you'd probably see more scoring. I think at the pace that the game's being played now, I think it's appropriate for the NHL to look at expanding their surface um, and I think it benefits the skilled players. Like someone like Tim Stutzlow would benefit from having more ice to work with, uh, especially on the power play. So to me, I, I think the argument against it is that it slows the pace of the game down and you don't have this intensity, but it, it's going to show 
it's going to showcase more offense um, and the things that you want to sell if you're the NHL. So uh, to me personally, it's been something that should have been done probably for a few years now. Um, So hopefully they do decide. I think they'll have to decide to go with that uh, eventually at the, the way the game is going. 100% 100% agree. So, you know, before we move on uh, to our next segment, which will be about Brandstrom, what are, who are your top three players at this tournament so far, if it's not Stutzla at number one? Um, you know, so so what are your number three? Uh, so aside from Stutzla, uh, because I think he would be right at, in that mix in the top three, um, I would say Anton Lundell has been really, really good. He's uh, he's looking to me. He's looking like an NHL player up there. Uh, so I would put him at number three. At number two, I'll go with Dylan Cousins. Um, he's just been dominant in basically in all areas of the ice. Really, really good up and coming player for the Sabers. Uh, and at number one has to be uh, Trevor Zegras. He's just been exceptional. You know the the hands, the skill. He's got the you know the finishing abilities, the passing. Um, him and Stutzla have been, you know, kind of neck and neck. Um, but I would give him the edge right now if I'm being, you know, 100% unbiased. I would say Trevor Zegras. What about I, you? I agree. My top three, I had uh, Zegras at number one because, you know, he's been the straw that stirs the USA attack. You know, 15 points in five games is ridiculous. He has, He's already tied his... He tied the amount of assists he had last last tournament with nine during uh, yesterday's win. I think he he's going to go to Anaheim, and he's going to dominate. We're going to see him in a top six role uh, this season. I hope Ducks fans are excited for him and are excited to see him. Even Drysdale going to camp, those two are going to be fun to watch if you're a Ducks fan. Number two, Buffalo, you got a great one, Dylan Cousins. He looks like he's going to fit in perfectly Second line, first line with Eichel or behind Eichel. He can play center wing. I love the kid. He's going to have a really solid NHL career. Number three was a little bit of a toss-up for uh, Stutzla and Lundell because they're both so important to their team. I give it to Stutzla because I think if you were if you were to remove Lundell, Finland is still second in, in the in B pool or in A pool. He's still second. Like they're still in the same position that they're in now. If you remove Germany, if you remove Stutzla from Germany, Germany isn't even into the quarterfinals. They're they're probably last in Group A, looking at like a four zero and four record, and just getting blown out almost every game. So I got I got put uh, Stutzla at uh, number three, and an honorable ben- a mention to Devon Le- uh, Levi. Mm, uh, yeah, Levy. he's been he's been phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, Devon Levi because he has just been great. A seventh round pick to Florida. He played for the Carlton Place Canadians in the uh, CCHL, and he he was like thirty four two and one last year, ridiculous numbers, and came into he wasn't even at selection camp, and I think that's what makes it such like so important is that he wasn't even in the summer camp. He came in, won the starting job from Garand, who was expected to be the starter as of last year, and has just he he's made the saves that needed to be made. made um, and he's just been there when Canada has needed him. He hasn't been super uh, tested because, you know, you're playing Finland and then your only competition really was the Czechs outside of that. But he, he's made the important saves, and I expect him to continue to have that dominant tournament. How impossible is it to scout young goaltenders? Because this is another one that's kind of, like you said, a seventh-round pick. 
just kind of comes out of nowhere. And now all of a sudden he's, he's a big deal and he's looking like the best goalie in the tournament. When you have other goalies there like Askarov, who to me is really struggling, especially with shots up high. Um, you know, I was impressed by his athleticism early in the tournament, but it's clear that he's overplaying pucks and he's, he's exposing the, the upper half of the net every game. Pucks are bouncing off him. His rebound control hasn't been good. His vision hasn't been good. He hasn't been able to see through traffic. Um, versus someone like Levi, a seventh-round pick the year previous to, to Florida, looks like a much better goaltender right now. It's just impossible to scout these guys. I don't get it. I think it's because, you know, again, bigger ice surface for Askarov in, in Russia. Completely different angles. You have a completely different set of how you're approaching the games and approaching the players. So I wouldn't read too much into how Askarov's playing in this tournament because he's still adjusting to the European ice, like the North American ice surface. I think with Levi, though, is that because he played in the junior league, he didn't play in the OHL. He didn't play in the CHL where you're you're expected to get drafted into the NHL. He went the university route. I think he's going to Northwestern. or He's a freshman at Northwestern this year. And I think teams were expecting to see more of him through that. I think Florida drafting him in the seventh round was kind of a surprise. It was like a, you know, we really like what we've seen under this guy in, in junior. Um but we're not, you know, 100% sold. I think he honestly, if Florida didn't draft him and the NCAA had a regular year, he was playing in Northwestern, you add in this tournament, he's probably probably one of the first goalies picked third or fourth round in this year's draft if he's not picked by Florida. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think he's just, he's just looked extremely poised for a kid his age um, on this big stage. That's not an easy thing to do. We've seen many... Canadian goaltenders kind of falter, uh, especially when they're playing those games where they get like 13 shots in an entire game. You're just kind of cold trying to stop pucks. But Levi's looked unflappable. He looks extremely good. I think, you know, everyone's penciling Spencer Knight as the next goalie of the Florida Panthers. If Spencer Knight isn't careful, like if he's if he doesn't actually, like if he doesn't realize that Levi can overtake him, He's going to be in some serious trouble, and I wouldn't it be wouldn't be surprised over the next couple of years to see that goalie battle uh, progress, and Levi could end up on top. Yeah, no question. It's just there's no certainty when it comes to goaltenders. Um, again, I don't know why in the world you would draft a goaltender in the top ten. Even um, it just I don't know. It, you're playing with fire, definitely, and you could find some of these gems in the seventh round. Some of them aren't even drafted, like. It's just goaltenders in my mind should always be, they should be drafted at a later age. Like we're not, it's impossible to predict when you're drafting a 17 year old goaltender. We need to see goaltenders at like 20 at least to get a sense of what they're going to be in the NHL. Cause they don't mature till uh, NHL readiness until they're at least in their early twenties. Like, you don't like Bennington's a prime example. He came into the scene at 25. Hogberg's another one who, could end up being, depending on how the, the lottery or the expansion draft goes, he could end up being the starter for Seattle next year. There's a lot of question marks around that. But, you know, Decord's another one. Comes in at like 23, 24 outside, out of Arizona State. has show, He started his season last year in the ECHL. Came up. Him and Gustafson, once Hogberg was up here basically full time, kind of controlled the net. And you're looking at like Decord under NHL contract next year. 
We could see Hogberg in Seattle, unfortunately, as much as I love them. And then Decord comes in as our backup behind Murray. Like, there's a lot of situations where goaltenders don't develop until their mid-20s. We don't get a Carter Hart or a Vasilevsky Samsonov kind of starting to demand the net at like 21, 22. It's usually around 23, 24 where we really start seeing those goalies demand the net. Yeah, if I'm an NHL GM, I am kind of going in with a mindset of I don't draft a goalie until after the fourth round, at least. Um, because even on the open market, like to acquire a number one goalie isn't going to cost you a ton of money. Like it, it doesn't cost you a ton. It, we just seen Ottawa grab Matt Murray for a second round pick and he's going to be for the foreseeable future. He's going to be their number one guy. So, I mean, goalies don't cost a ton of assets on the open market. Um, and I really don't see a point of drafting them because you just don't know what you're going to get before the fourth round. I think it's a waste of a draft pick. I agree a hundred percent, but you know, we can talk about goalie draft picks and the, the amount of luck that it takes to draft one and develop one. But we got to move on to Brandstrom. A lot of he has his name has been swirled around the trade rumor, like no tomorrow. DJ uh, Smith still wants him working on the left side. There's a lot of uncertainty around this man, and it kind of goes into our next, like into the next question. But where do you what do you see Brandstrom? Like where do you see Brandstrom fitting left side? You know, you have Sanderson in the wings. You have Willanin who could show that he can be an NHL defenseman this year. You have obviously Shabbat. So. Why are they? Why do you think DJ Smith is still forcing this left side deal on Brandstrom? Yeah, it's it's confusing to me as a fan when because you know every time we look at this situation, this team we know is built for the future. So what are we doing this year? We're really looking at a roster that will amount to the roster we're hoping it will be in in either next year, or probably the year after, where you know everyone is there and we're really starting to look at uh, contending. Um, so we're definitely looking down the road a little bit. And when you have DJ Smith come out and Pierre Dorian several times, you know, just being reluctant to send Brandstrom to his preferred side, which, you know, he came out and said himself that he's more comfortable playing the right side. And you can't help but notice Jake Sanderson there. You can't help but notice Christian Wolanin, you know, who's probably a breakout candidate this season um, and Thomas Shabbat, of course, being the number one defenseman in Ottawa, it's like, where does Brandstrom fit in? I have no idea now at, at this stage. Um, it's confusing a little bit. Um, you know, could they, again, just be trying to ease him into the NHL, um, have him comfortable first on his strong side and then decide later on down the road. Now that you're comfortable, now we'll send you over to the right side and see what you could do there. Absolutely, that could be the case. Maybe we're over over analyzing this and overreading into it, but you, you can't help but wonder if Brandstrom is kind of the perfect trade chip now that Ottawa's acquired Jake Sanderson. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it also has to do with injuries, right? If you're looking at Brandstrom and you're like, okay, well, we have another puck moving defenseman on the left side. Cool, that's fantastic. But what if Shabbat gets hurt? We're going to lose that so we can feel. So getting Brand, getting Brandstrom comfortable playing on the left side is a good idea. You know, if he's already comfortable playing on the right, you don't need to put him there anymore. You can just leave him there and he'll be fine. So having him right now play, okay, we're going to have you work on your left side because if Shabbat gets hurt, you're going to move over to the left side. Like, it, And I think if that's the case, then that's very smart. It's a smart 
manage like asset management where you're like, okay, we know what you can do on the right. We need to improve you on the left side because if Shabbat goes out long-term, Sanderson goes out long-term, we can fill you in on the left side and you'll feel comfortable. You'll be able to play there without missing a beat. Everything will be just as natural as it were on the right side. And I, I agree on that mentality if that's what they're doing. And obviously they're not going to come out and say it because that's, that would not be ideal. But if that's DJ Smith's thinking, which I believe it could be, I have no issue with it, but I agree, you know, perfect trade chip at this point. Yeah. I, I think personally, I think it's just a matter of uh, them wanting to give Brandstrom time to develop. I think they want him to develop on a side that's easier to play because it is obviously as a defenseman, it's easier to play your strong side because your, your stick is open to all the passing lanes. You can, you know, use your strength to cross over the opposite side of the ice. It is easier theoretically to play your strong side. So as a lefty, it's easier to play the left side than it is the right side. Um, so it could be literally just a matter of development. Like they, they want to see him get really comfortable and start producing because he hasn't produced anything yet at the NHL level on his strong side before they even consider him a right side defenseman um, or a guy that's versatile enough to play that opposite side because it takes a lot of skill to play the other side in the NHL. Um, you know, it, it could be something like that, but I think you made a fair point as well. You know, could it be injury kind of prevention? Um, it, it could be, but then I would kind of wager if he could play both sides and it doesn't really matter if Shabbat got injured, they could say, okay, now you're going back to the left side and you're going to play over there for a little while. Which, but yeah, which is what I was saying is that like, it gives them flexibility of like, okay, you're going to the left side, but everything is just as natural playing on the left side as it would be the right. And you don't see any gaps in his game. You don't want him going over to the left side where, you know, a play that he would make on the right side is a little bit harder for him on the left kind of thing. So I have no issue with him going on the left side, but I also wouldn't be upset if we traded him. Yeah. And personally, I don't have him in my roster right now. Like I, I don't have him starting the season with the auto senders. Um, well, I, it, it's great, except for the fact that the right side is not. <laughs> so that's true. I mean, it is great to have, like you said, yeah, it's they are spoiled with the left side of the D, but um, but we're hoping that this uh, roster gets rounded out sooner than later. And, you know, we don't want to be stuck in a rebuild for the next three, four, five years. So they do have to get something sorted out. Um, but as I was saying, I don't have Brandstrom starting uh, with the Ottawa Senators. He could. Uh, I know they said some very positive things about that perhaps yesterday with DJ Smith, just alluding to the fact that he might get some time at the start of the season. Um, but it does kind of lead us to this next discussion. And I know uh, you were talking about him being the perfect trade chip. So uh, why not mention it? Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois has been rumored. Uh, well, he, he is on the block. There's no question, you know, They've came out and said he's publicly on the trade block. He just signed a two-year bridge deal worth uh, $5 million per. Um, so nothing long-term with Columbus. Uh, and he wants a change of scenery. This is the perfect player for the Ottawa Senators, is it not? I 100% agree. I think Dubois would slot in as our number one center. Beside Kachuk, you can throw whoever you want on his right wing. Does it matter? He's a play driver. He's fantastic. I, I don't know. I just think that he would be the – he fits the age. He's close friends with Shabbat. 
Like, what else more do you need? There's, uh, it, you would be hard pressed to find a better fit than Pierre Luc Dubois, and I think that's why Sen's Twitter kind of went into a frenzy. It was as soon as it was announced that he's on the trade block, everyone in their right mind was making uh, trade proposals. Uh, you know, perhaps for uh, acquiring Pierre Luc Dubois. So. Uh, Shane, what would a trade proposal realistically look like um, if you could see both something for Columbus and Ottawa? You're probably, unfortunately, you're looking at Brandstrom, most likely a guy like Norris, Pinto. Uh, I don't see Logan Brown being involved, but though, like, I would expect a kind of like a, a Norris, Pinto, or a, a Norris, uh, Brandstrom, and probably a 2021 first. And I know a lot of people would be hesitant on trading that first. I'll probably be top 10, uh, probably even a top five pick. But with the draft this year, with there's so much, like there's so much uncertainty around players because they, some of them haven't played. Uh, some of them are playing it frequently because of COVID. It's so hard to judge. I would be okay. And realistically, I guarantee you there's no, like Beniers is the top rated center in this draft. I do not think Beniers turns out to be better than Dubois. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what you have to warrant. I think it's the same thing when they, when they traded a first round pick for Duchesne uh-huh. is that one, they probably didn't expect it to be a top five pick two years in a row. Uh, but you have to look at it. It's like, okay, well, if we trade this pick, we have to make sure that, you know, the guys that will be available won't be, uh, won't be better. And I think that's kind of where you're at with uh, Dubois and no one in this draft class will be better than Dubois for your team. And to me, that's a deal that gets it done. I mean, that's the difference right there. It's an unprotected first overall, uh, first round pick, uh, hopefully not first overall, but an unprotected first round pick uh, combined with one of, like you said, Pinto or Norris would probably be the two centers that they would want to pick from. And Eric Brandstrom would be kind of the, I don't know if he would be the centerpiece or if Norris would be the centerpiece of that trade. Um, but I guess it would just be one of those, uh, one of those trades with kind of three centerpieces. Cause you're right. The pick would likely be a top 10 pick. Um, although with Dubois in the mix, maybe it wouldn't. I mean, he does make a significant impact to the center ice position and Ottawa did go out and get a ton of depth at center aside from that. And they have Dadnov and they have Stutzla like, if you added Pierre-Luc Dubois, I mean, that changes your whole landscape uh, this season. Could, so. Like You can also move Tierney. Tierney is on a friendly contract. You could add him into the package to kind of remove yep. Norris because Tierney isn't – like he's 26, I believe, he, or 25-26. You can – he'll be UFA at the end of the year, but he's a team-friendly contract. And, you know, he'll add to the scoring touch that you guys need – you add a guy like Brandstrom, kind of can slot in on your left side behind. Uh, I think what uh, Rowenski is your left side, your top left top pairing, left side defenseman. He can slot in as a second pairing. I would be totally okay with this trade. I think if you're if you're Columbus, you know Dubois is disgruntled. Yes. You let Panarin walk. You let Bobrovsky walk. You can't let Dubois walk. And you can't keep him there and let his trade value diminish. Because if he gets hurt, any kind of serious length injury will ruin his trade value. And his trade value right now is, it's ultra high because he's coming off 
a standout performance at, in the playoffs. He was their best player um, aside from Seth Jones. Uh, Dubois was their best player up front, bar none, in the playoffs. 100%. I think if you were going to look at you know the top three players for Columbus, it was Corpusello, Jones, and Dubois. Those were their top three players in the playoff run that ended in a, in a game five loss to Toronto or with – no, with a game five win over Toronto, yeah. ended in a second round loss to Tampa. Uh, you know, it's just personally, I just look at it like you you need to if you're if you're a Sense fan, you want Dorian to go make this move. This is the move that you've stockpiled these prospects for. This is the move that you've stockpiled the picks. This is the move that will show the fan base outside of signing Kachuk. You're you're ready to to put the last three years behind us, and we're going to start competing. This is the move you have to make. Yeah, and that's why you go in strong like that. And that's a that's a deal that gets done to me. I mean, Columbus is not going to find a better deal than the one you just tabled right there. And we're talking about Eric Brandstrom, who came one for one for Mark Stone. I mean. We're talking about Josh Norris, whose value is oozing right now. Everybody is talking about Josh Norris and his potential. He, he was the rookie of the year in the AHL. This is potentially a top six center, a, a really good one that you could replace Dubois with. And a first round pick unprotected. I mean, and, and yes, I would be, I'm right with you. I would be 100% comfortable offering that package because I don't think any one of those players has a ceiling higher than what Dubois is right now. And we know what he is. It's certain. hundred percent. And I, if I'm, if I'm the, if I'm Dorian, I understand you have a plan, right? And Melnick has been on board with this plan and you have to look at this trade as like, okay, how much farther, like, is that how big of a deviance is this plan? You know, you traded and everyone's going to be like, okay, well you traded Mark Stone for Brandstrom. And then you had to flip Brandstrom and Norris on a pick for Dubois. And then you can make the argument, which who's better stone or Dubois. That's an argument that can go either way. Dubois is a lot younger. He's a center. Uh, there's a lot more upside to those. You don't get number one centers very often. So you can make that argument. You could, you could also look at it like, Hey, if Eric Carlson got you, Tim Stutzla and Mark stone got you Pierre Luc Dubois, then we're dancing. Well, that's the thing. Is that like, you know, Right now we're dancing because, you know, Eric Carlson got a Stutzla and Norris and, you know, Balsers, Tierney. But we might not even need to get rid of Norris. You can package Branstrom, uh, Formanton, or even Branstrom and Tierney. Yeah, you could make a bigger package with lesser, I guess, you know, quality. Quality, quality over quantity. You can make it a quantity package over a quality package. But does that get the deal done? Again, maybe with the first round pick being involved, maybe it does. Maybe, maybe Brent, maybe they look at, you know, if uh, G, the GM of Columbus looks at it as like, okay, you know, we're getting Tierney. He can play in our top nine right away. They might not feel Norris is ready. Branstrom can jump into our top four right away. That's great. You know, you can even add in a guy like, Balsers or Formington, one of those fringe wingers that could probably crack Columbus's top nine this season. You know, and if you're if you're Columbus, you know your your biggest issue is goal scoring. Mm -hmm. So if you can get two, three, four guys that can give you that goal scoring ability or help with that goal scoring ability, you you had 
quality quantity over quality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the trade again for both sides. I cannot see for the life of me Columbus getting a better offer than that. And on the flip side, I can't see why Pierre Dorian wouldn't want to make that offer. Like that's that's as solid as it gets. Pierre Luc Dubois, you're not going to find a better center in the draft. Um, we have two. You know, if we're being honest, you look at the roster. We have two glaring holes. One's at center. One's on the right side uh, of the decor. Um, and they're both, you know, top pieces that Ottawa probably needs to build their team. So that basically checks one box off. And then you've got tons of assets left to fill your other need, really, on, on the right side of the decor. And this thing is set a lot quicker than we we thought it could be if, if this deal could happen. 100%. And, like, it's going to be something to watch. I think Ottawa, I know there's talk that Boston kind of kicked tires on it. But, you know... I think personally, I think Ottawa should be the front runner to acquire this kind of talent due to our cap space and whatnot. It's going to be an interesting storyline to look at, uh, look at going in the next, you know, two years, maybe not even probably the next like six, seven months. Yeah. I can't see them holding on to Dubois for very long, especially with, uh, they did a press conference today and it's just the writing is on the wall. This guy doesn't want to be there. I don't know why you would want to surround your locker room with a player that that clearly doesn't want to be there. So, um, yeah, he, he's going to be moved. I think he'll be moved fairly quickly. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen people talk about White being part of the deal. I don't really know if that's a good idea because him and Shabbat are best friends. I don't see you trading one of Shabbat's best friends for one of Shabbat's other best friends. I just I don't see that being a smart idea. If you're trying to appease these players – you want as many of them being friends as possible, which is why I think Norris might not be touchable because he's really good friends with Kachuk. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another fair point. I mean, the chemistry in the locker room um, was, it, it's definitely the highlight of Ottawa's rebuild. Um, you know, prior to, if we look back at the Carlson days and that core group, there was a lot of chemistry problems. There was a lot of character problems. And that's why you see, DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian, every time they get an opportunity to mention something like character, it's coming across loud and clear. This, this is a team um, they're looking to build a, a ton of character within and a ton of chemistry within. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, we're going to take a break right now. Once we get back, we are going to talk, you know, characters as we got our captains announced uh, DJ Smith uh, earlier today announced a little bit more of a, a more of a hint towards next year's captains. We got our over under, and we also got our top five teams we want to see succeed outside of the North Division this year. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this short break. Did you know that your favorite band also loves your favorite hockey team? If you love hockey and you love music, you're gonna love Bar Down Breakdown a podcast that explores the crossover between alternative music and the sport we love, hockey. Every NHL player wants to be in a band, and every band guy wants to be an, an, you know, a pro athlete. With guests from all over the globe, come along with us as we interview some of the most captivating names in alternative music and talk about why we love hockey and how it's influenced us. You know, there was a, for a few seconds, I thought, of like, well, maybe we should wear a Montreal jersey, and and I was like, mm, I think you should stay neutral. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. 
So tune in every Tuesday on the Hockey Podcast Network, where we'll have a brand new guest and a unique look into the bridge between hockey and music. And we are back. Uh, that was our bar down breakdown of the Hockey Podcast Network. Great guys. Fantastic podcast. And just a quick reminder that we do have our jersey, customized jersey contest going on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. These are the rules. Follow us at Suns Hour. Subscribe on YouTube. Let us who you want to get. You can get any player of the any team. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have to be Suns related. But, and take three friends. No issue. Jersey's not included. And you can head on over to CustomizedSports.com. Use SendZower and get 10% off your order. Fantastic quality these guys get. Great to deal with. Great quick shipping. Most of the time, I know some people had issues on the holidays because of Canada Post delays. But with that being said, we're going to jump into it. Uh, we were talking character. We're going to continue talking character. And there's a reason for it because yesterday they, they didn't wait until like the day before the game to announce their captains. Shabbat, Kachuk, the obvious choice to be named alternates. They both wore the senior at the end of the year. I think the third C was the most talked about. Good Branson gets it. I said, we, we talked about it earlier uh, a couple of weeks ago that Good Branson had a chance to come in with like a Hainsey. Were you surprised that Good Branson got the A? And what, what do you think it means that Good Branson got, got the A? I was a little bit surprised. Uh, I thought Connor Brown would be kind of the front runner for uh, the third one. And, and, uh, I was a little bit surprised, but I think, uh, good Branson's uh, character guy, like, uh, there's no question about that. Um, to me, it speaks to probably the lineup a little bit. I, I don't think he's going to be a player that, you know, some of us assumed that Brant or good Branson would be in and out of the lineup. I think he's more of a regular than we think. Uh, and early on, he's getting the, the big minutes with Thomas Shabbat. So, um, so we'll see if that kind of stays true throughout camp or if they uh, try to mix it up. But um, I don't mind it at all. He played with uh, Cam Fowler last year at the end of last year. And Ducks fans said he looked uh, really, really good there. He's a very likable guy. So I don't have any problem with him getting the A this year. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those, you know, Ottawa guys, played for Kingston, uh, you know, out East uh, Orleans and uh... – uh, Blackbird Hamlet kind of guy. He's basically East Ottawa's version of Borowicki. Like, it would have been fantastic if these two could have played on the same team together. I would have loved it. Ottawa would have been great for it. But it, it, this goes into what DJ Smith said this year, or today. Kachuk, Shabbat, going to battle it out for the captaincy this season. Who do you think comes on top? I think Brady Kachuk, because if it was Thomas Shabbat, it would have been done yesterday. Um, I think they're waiting for the contract extension. Uh, I really think they see Brady Kachuk as the leader of the future. Uh, and hopefully it doesn't kind of tear any sort of divide between the two of them, because I think they're both uh, suitable captains. I think Shabbat would lead in a more subtle, kind of quiet way. Um, but Kachuk would ultimately probably be the guy standing up in the locker room you know, when they're down a goal or two going into the third period and saying like, let's go guys, let's, you know, let's get fired up. And he would be kind of the more uh, speech kind of leader, uh, a little bit more active. Um, Shabbat would probably be more of a leader by example, a little bit. Um, either either side, I think they're both great choices for captaincy. I don't have a problem with it. 
I've said before that I, I would, you know, I kind of hoped that they waited for someone like Jake Sanderson to come aboard before naming a captain, but that could be a couple of years from now. So that's not realistic to ask. Uh, we should also note that Derek Stepon, the, uh, DJ Smith hinted that Derek Stepon would get the fourth uh, A this season. So another assistant. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they run four A's. You know, got to give it to somebody when one of the three are hurt or just taking a rest because it is a grind. I And you know what, though? The reason why I think I give it to Kachuk is what he said uh, earlier today. He was quoted saying that our expectations are playoffs. Yeah. And I, I really don't know what more you want from a captain outside of basically being like, we're not going into this division to, to finish last. We're going to go in there. We're going to compete. We're going to play hard. We're going to be a hard game. And we are going to put our minds to the fact that we can compete. The, the boys, the men in this dressing room are good enough. We play the systems right. We have the talent to make the playoffs. And I love that. And I know people are going to say it's ballsy. But I think that's exactly what you need from a captain. Yeah, the the hesitancy mindset is something that's just media created. Like, you know, and, and all of us and fan created. We, we look at, you know, they finished 31st and 30th and 31st. And, um, you know, yeah, not in that order. I think I screwed that up. But, <laughs> but aside from that, you know, they've been at the bottom of the league the last three years. So a lot of people just kind of assume that the expectation, especially in a strong division like the North Division, is going to be, Ottawa is going to be the seventh place bottom feeding team once again. Um, and Brady Kachuk's basically dispelling that mindset and saying, no, internally, we think we can win. We think we're a playoff team. And I think he even said a realistic expectation for us is making the playoffs. So that, that is bold. Um, but that's what you want to hear from your leader, uh, from your leadership group. You don't want to hear them come out and say, well, you know, we got a lot of new players coming into the lineup and, our plan this year is to just work hard and be in every game. No, we want to make the playoffs. Which I, I think is great. I mean, if you're a Sense fan, you, you, we talk about the negative Sense fans and the negative side of Sense, uh, the Sense fan base a lot. It's very prominent. It's usually the loudest voice in, in the Sense fan base is always the negativity. I've seen people actually criticize Kachuk for saying that. Uh, I don't know if they're actual sense fans or people just trolling and I hope they're just trolls, but how can you criticize a kid? Like you're expecting that, you know, him and Shabbat are expected to be captains. Hmm. This is probably one of the most captain thing to say. You're not going to have a captain come out and say, well, you know, we're going to hope to be in every game. We're going to play hard, hmm. whatnot. Like you're basically telling the fan base, we're going to play to make the playoffs. Yeah. If you go into a job interview and, you know, someone asks you how how well you think you're going to do at the job, your answer better not be, well, you know, I'm going to be new, so I don't know if I'm going to be that good right away. You know, I, I need a little bit of time before <laughs> before I'm really sure of myself. Uh, guess who's not getting the job? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you can't go in there and, and Kachuk speaking on behalf of his teammates he's not going to step up to the microphone and, and show any sort of hesitancy whatsoever. So yeah, if anyone's criticizing what he said, I think that's idiotic. Like, yeah, of course he's going to step up to the microphone and say, no, we think we're a good team. We think we're a playoff team and that's where we expect ourselves to be. It's crazy to think that like we've gone so far and I, people keep bringing up Carlson and Kachuk or Carlson and, and Stone and Hoffman. And personally, we have to remember that like, from 2000 
1415, the, really the year that we saw Stone and Hoffman, Peugeot kind of break into their own through until the, the, the end of the 1718 season. Um, you know, we were the 21st best team in the league. And that really tells a lot about, you know, yeah, we had these big name players or what we thought were big name players, but we still weren't good uh, like season to season. Like if you we have the Hamburglar run, which he won like 24 games. And then we have Condon coming in when both our goalies were hurt and he went on an extremely good run. You take those out. We're kind of middle of the pack. We're probably near closer to the bottom. At one point, blame 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 Melnick, blame Dorian, blame whoever you want to blame. The numbers don't add up to keeping these players long term because they haven't had any success. And I think Dorian has done a good job at turning the corner on that, having a fresh fresh start with these players, and they're like, hey, you know, this is your team. And I think giving Kachuk and, and Shabbat the A is, is basically telling them, like, hey, this is your team. You guys are going to be the ones that bring us to the next level. You, It starts with you guys. And honestly, like, as a fan, I love it. I think it's reinvigorated the fan base from, you know, from the time Carlson was was dealt and, you know, everything else that snowballed and, and followed all the big-name players that were lost I think everyone's able to see kind of the excitement surrounding this team now and it's reinvigorated the fan base. Um, and it, it might get to a place where the fan base is actually better than it was previously. When, like you, like you said, Ottawa was not a guaranteed lock to make the playoffs. We're not talking about the, you know, 2001 to 2008 Ottawa senators that were, just a lock every year to make the playoffs or whatever it was. I know that the time frame's off there, but uh, you know, that's a totally different uh, scenario. Uh, the Eric Carlson Ottawa senators were not that team. They were a bubble team. If we're being honest, that had a couple of really nice runs, um, unexpected runs uh, that led them to close to a Stanley cup, but, but not really close to, uh, to where you could say, we'll be back there next year for sure. DJ Smith, uh, Pierre Dorian, uh, Eugene Melnick, even they're trying to build a team that year after year are going to be contending for the Stanley cup in a genuine sort of sense, not in a, we hope to be eighth place in the, you know, in the standings and then get in the playoffs and see what happens. No, we hope to be number one, number two, or number three in the standings and everyone else is going to hope to play as good as we are. Yeah. I mean, I think, if you're if you're Ottawa, you want to be like Tampa. You want to be like Tampa yeah. or Boston. One of these teams that you go into being like, okay, well, they're going to be top of their division. Obviously, anything can happen in the playoffs. We've seen it. You know, we, we saw it in 2017 when Ottawa went to the Eastern Conference Finals. We saw it in, in 2012 when the Kings slotted in as that eighth seed and went, to, and went on to win the Cup. That's not the issue. The issue is they slotted in as the eighth seed. Ottawa, tooth and nail that year to get in as the third seed in the the Atlantic. We don't want to fight tooth and nail. We want to be able to look at the season and be like, the, we, we'll win like 50-some games. We'll, we'll be a top-two team. We'll be in the President's Trophy race year in and year out, which would put you in the the Stanley Cup, like Stanley Cup contending race year in and year out. And I think that's all that really matters. 
Yeah, and that's that's what they're trying to do. And, you know, that's all you can hope for as a fan of a team. You you want your team to be a legitimate contender, not a pretender. And for many years, Ottawa was a pretender. And, you know, if you're in the, the playoffs, like you said, anything could happen. So it really is about getting there every year. Unless your name is San Jose Sharks, then uh, nothing can happen for you, <laughs> even if you're in the playoffs every year. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or Toronto, you lose four straight years. Or the Leafs, yeah. Still- uh, but, uh, but speaking of other teams, uh, let's get into this list that we have going because I think it'll it'll be a good discussion. Um, I'm curious to see, we decided to make a list of every team outside of our North Division, um, so top five teams that we're kind of pulling for quietly this season um, and kind of justifying those choices. So... Why don't you start with uh, with your fifth team, Shane? So number five, outside of the North Division, this is going to come as a surprise to some people, but I, I got the Philadelphia Flyers as my fifth seed in that East Division. I like Hart. I like Konechny, Giroux, local boy. Konechny played for the 67s. I love Provorov. Would love him in Ottawa, not even going to lie. Um, he's just one of those guys that you love to watch. I just love everything about Philly. I love Philly hockey. I love – I miss the Ottawa-Philly matchups. Like, I'm going to miss that this year. They were always really good games, physical games. And it's just – Philly deserves a, a, a run. I don't even care if they win. They just deserve another run. I, I think they're going to do well, and I'm pulling for them to finish top three. I was playing them last year, and they're going to be one of my favorites to watch this year. Yeah, and, and Carter Hart in that. I mean, when your your goaltending position is secure like theirs is, they're going to be, like I said, like we were just talking about, they're probably going to be contenders for many years to come thanks to that goaltending situation. And Nolan Patrick is expected to be back this year. I've, yeah. I've heard some rumblings about that. I don't know how like how serious it is, but from, my, from what I've seen on Twitter – they are hopeful that he'll be back playing games this year. And I love Nolan Patrick. I, I know people are saying that he's a bust because of his head injury, like his headache issues or his, mm. like they're not even, po- I don't even think they're post concussion symptoms anymore. They're actually just like migraine issues, which is a win in and of, it, in and out of itself. So if he can be back playing, I think they're going to solidify that top nine with him. And this team's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. A couple of nice stories there with Lindblom as well. So, uh, good stories to look out for in Philly. I like the choice. Uh, for five, I went with the New York Islanders. Um, I just liked their style of play. Um, I think it kind of radiates uh, from Lou Lamorello kind of down. He's got that old school hockey philosophy. And I know a lot of people don't like him as a GM. And I'm kind of one of them. Like, <laughs> I don't really like him as a GM. But at the same time, I like the hockey team that's there uh, on the island. I think, uh, you know, when J.G. Paggio went there, it made it easier for me to cheer for them. Um, I just like their style of play, and I also like their fan base. Like, I honestly think they have some of the best fans. I know after uh, Tavares got traded to the Leafs, um, some of the most fun I had was watching the Islanders absolutely slap around the Leafs and the fan base just screaming, we don't need you. I think it was just uh, electric. I will admit, the Islanders are going to be... If we were doing top 10, they would be in my top 10. They're not in my top 5, but I agree that they should be a fun team to watch, especially if they can get Barzell to sign, Peugeot. I love love, uh, Andres Lee. I think he's a great captain for them. They have the right choice after Tavares left. So I'm excited to see what they can do this season. And relatively a stacked division, like always. 
yeah, it's going to be tough for them, but I still, uh, I'm still pulling for them quietly. How about number four? Number four, this is might become a surprise, but it's Carolina. I'm going to let you all know I only have one Western team here. I have a, I'm pulling for a lot of Eastern teams, um, uh, but Carolina, I love Morazic. Reimer combo is going to be great. Dougie Hamilton, Slavin, fantastic combo. You can't not love like Aho and Shefnikov and everyone else that got going there. I don't really care for Dezingle. I was never a huge Dezingle fan. But overall, I love that team. I love the atmosphere that they've brought to the NHL uh, since they went under new ownership, the storm surge, everything like that, Rob Brindamore. They're just a fantastic team. I, I really hope that we go, we see another you know push from, from the Hurricanes. Yeah, Carolina is really a groundbreaking team. Like they're doing things their own way, even uh, you know from their social media accounts that they run. Um, they just kind of have fun with it in a way that um, is less kind of black and white. You know, it, it's it's very fun. Um, so everything about that team is very fun. I agree with what you said. I actually uh, now looking at my list, I'm regretting not having them on my list because uh, that is one of the teams that I really always kind of pull for. Uh, I like their core group of players, like you uh, mentioned. Uh, for for me, number four, I went with the Rangers just because I think it's going to be exciting this year. Uh, so I went I went back, right back to New York. But uh, Alexi Lafreniere, Mika Zibanejad, um, Artemi Panarin's there. You know, one of the best goal scorers in the game. I can't stand Tony D'Angelo, but aside from him, I like the rest of their core. Um, I, I'm not a huge Strom fan either, but. Uh, I'm, I'm more so excited to see what the number one overall pick, Alexi Lafreniere, is going to do to the Rangers group, um, you know, accompanied by big-time goal scorers like Mika Zibanejad and Artemi Panarin. That's fair. And, I mean, I like – okay, so I understand why a lot of people dislike Tony D'Angelo. I do. I know he is a very controversial individual, but I love what he brings to the ice. I think he's not a bad player. He's a very good player. And he is someone outside like outside of him as a person. I have no comment on it. I'm not because I don't really care about people's in that aspect. But he's a guy that I would love player-wise in Ottawa. I think he would complement Ottawa's team very well as a player. I know some people are like, oh, you don't want that kind of energy in the locker room. I get it. But as a player, if you look at his skill set, he brings a lot to the table. But at number three for me, and this is my only Western team, it's the uh, Colorado Avalanche. You talk about social media presence, they're right there alongside uh, Carolina as one of the best social media teams in, in the league, let alone in pro sports. You know, McKinnon, always love McKinnon. He's going to do great things. You add in guys like Saad, who got, who got traded there. Obviously, you know, I want to see Makar. I want to see what Byram does mm -hmm. this year. And, and Devon, Devon Taves ended up in Colorado. So I'm really interested to see what happens. I was kind of disappointed that Colorado got Devon Taves. I thought that would be a guy Ottawa was going to target on the right side. But either way, like, I like Colorado. I think they're going to run that division. Uh, and I'm excited to see what they do. I'm really excited to watch this guys guys play this year. Yeah, I, I think Colorado is going to run not just the division, but uh, they're they're probably going to run the league a little bit uh, next. Them season. in Tampa, them in Tampa, I think are going to be one too. Yeah, but Tampa without Kucherov could be you know a little bit different. And I, I, you're getting Stamkos back. Yeah, it's not like it's not yeah. like you're going in there without Stamkos. 
So if, if he comes back and he's Stamkos that we know, then which hey man, probably look, fine. for those couple of shifts that he had in the playoffs, he looked yeah, like he it. still looked pretty good. He scored a goal, didn't he? And like his yeah. opening shift. Yeah, I that. That. so like who yeah. knows? I think I think we we could expect a good amount of stuff from Stamkos. I'm not overly worried about it. All right, yeah, number three, I went with a Western team. I went with uh, Mark Stone uh, and the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't just say Mark Stone, but uh, th- there's my reason why I went with the Golden Knights. Um, I just I've always loved Mark Stone. I still feel kind of attached to this player, and then of course Robin Leonard as well uh, with. The Vegas Golden Knights, it, it just has a bit of a Sens feel to it. Uh, even if it's yesterday's Sens, uh, I still kind of want to see Mark Stone do well because I think he's a terrific leader. Um, I, I kind of like, I, I drew some parallels from Tim Stutzla's kind of animated faces that he made throughout the games, and it really brought me back to, to the Mark Stone intensity. You could feel it. You could feel it through the TV screen after Stutzla scores a goal, and it's a lot like Mark Stone. It didn't seem to matter for Stone if it was him scoring or anyone else on his team. He showed that same kind of animation, and and that's why I'm pulling for Vegas, really because of those two players. I agree, and I'm kind. Of, I know they announced that there should be a, there will be a captain for Vegas this year. I'm interested because of the storylines in, in. I don't actually care for Vegas. I'm interested about the storylines. You know, you, you added Peter Angelo or Petrangelo. You traded away Schmidt and, and Stasny. I don't know how much better you are doing that. There's talk of, you know, Patchetti and, and Marcia so being on the table because you have to get underneath the cap. And if that's the case, how much better are you really adding? Like how much better of a team are you with adding Peter Angelo? If you had to go make those moves and with him, you know, he was captain of St. Louis. So a lot of talk with stone being named captain. If you're Peter Angelo, they named captain is a kind of a backhand to stone depending on that situation. There's so many storylines. You have the flurry Leonard storyline. Yeah, they kind of screwed up the locker room in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. I so absolutely agree there. <laughs> I don't care about the team itself. I don't care what they do on the ice. I'm just interested about the off-ice storylines. What happens throughout the season? How this te- how do how can DeBoer cuz realistically, all of this falls on DeBoer. This has nothing and it's not his fault. It's not he's not the one going out making the moves. He's not the one going out signing the players or whatever. So I'm that's a guy that I'm just like I'm looking at him like if I'm DeBoer, you have to you have to manage this. It's not your mistake. It's not your mess. You're the one who has to clean it up. So I agree, they're gonna be fun to watch. The storylines are what interests me. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest reasons. But I think the storylines in Vegas, I mean, if we look at this situation probably next year and a couple of years later, we're gonna look at this team and say they could have been so good and they got rid of so many young players because of one kind of faulty season where they comp- they contended unexpectedly right out of the gate and they just got excited. They got super excited and they were like, okay, let's start bringing in star player after star player and, you know, uh, basically pissing away the cap. They've got like nothing left and now they've got to start selling players off and this fan base has never seen a team lose. <laughs> So uh, it's going to be interesting if they could keep the fan base around because I really think Vegas is probably going to be a bottom feeder team after this season. Um, probably after next season, we'll, we'll see a steadily uh, declining Vegas team because they got rid of so many good young players. I, I agree 100%. Imagine this Vegas team that had Cody Glass, Nick Suzuki, and Brandstrom on their roster. Like, 
And then you traded away Branstrom for Stone, which, I mean, a lot of people will probably take that as a win. And you traded away Zuki and Tatar for Pacioretty. Not a win. <laughs> not, not, well, this is, the, hey, Pacioretty was your leading goal scorer. Zuki's turning out to be a number one center. It, if they went all the way and won the cup, it would be worth it. Because yeah, but, they didn't, now, like like we're talking about, they're going to have to start selling off some of these guys, and really, what are you going to get for them? Yeah, it, it's bad for Vegas. But at number two, another Eastern team, the Boston Bruins. And oh. the reason why I have Boston is you don't have Pasternak, and you probably don't have Marchand to start the season. Yeah, You lost Tory Krug to St. Louis. You had made the argument of how committed you wanted to be to Krug. He's pushing 30. You have McAvoy and Brendan Carlo in the wings. You know, so, so those are, and then you go ahead and let go of Chera, which personally I have no issue with. He's 43. He lost a step. He was one of your bottom uh, pairing defensemen in the playoffs. So, you know, there, there's that. So there's still some question marks around this team heading into the season. Is, is Rass still disgruntled? Because I know there was, there was talk about during the playoffs that he was disgruntled. There's a lot of question marks around this team. They're going to be interesting to watch for basically the same reasons on, uh, for Vegas. But because of who they have, you know, DeBrusque and whatnot, they could make a run for it in that division. And they've been such a powerhouse in the Atlantic the last couple of years. Could they, could we see the start seeing the downfall of, of Boston? Maybe. And it's just for that alone, I'm just, I'm very intrigued to watch this Boston team this season. All right. I, I went with some intrigue as well for number two. Uh, I went with the Buffalo Sabres, um, you know, adding Taylor Hall to the mix. Um, you've got Jack Eichel, who's personally, he's one of my favorite players to watch. Uh, he's just an electric player. And I love that kind of upright skating style that he uh, skates with. I think it's it's extremely deceiving. You're watching that guy fly around. and He's kind of standing straight up on the ice. It looks really uh, odd, but he's just such a good player. Uh, of course, Dylan Cousins, if he does join the team. I don't know if he is joining the team or not after the World Juniors, um, but if he does this season, that would be something else uh, to look forward to. But, of course, they've got, you know, Rasmus Dahlin. They've got and They've got all these offensive weapons, and they've never been able to put anything together. Um, question marks remain in net, but uh, we'll see what the Buffalo Sabres could do, and I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned – Buffalo as your number two because they're my number one team. Hmm. Uh, you you mentioned Eichel and you mentioned Hall, mentioned uh, Hall being added. I think the one thing that kind of has been overlooked is the acquisition of Eric Stahl. I know he's thirty six, I believe. Yeah, but him and Skinner are back together, and these guys were one of the best duos uh, in the league with their time when they were healthy with each other in Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Olafson is dealing with an injury day to day, but if you're looking at a top six, you know, there's still Sam Reinhart. So if you're looking at a top six that includes Taylor Hall, uh, Jack Eichel, and Sam Reinhardt as your one, two, as your first line, your second line of uh, Skinner, Stahl, and Olsen as your, and that's fantastic. You add in a guy like Diz- Dylan Cousins or Jack Quinn, who I believe both of them will be expected to join the Sabers after the World Juniors. They're not mentioned on the roster, but I don't think that's necessary because they won't be eligible. To, to do it anyways, if they have to do a seven-day quarantine, yeah. they'll basically be available like two days before the season opens, so there's no point of adding them. But I think they're both, from my understanding, they're both expected to, to go to uh, Buffalo after the World Juniors. 
So I'm excited to see what they do. I'm really excited to see what happens with this Buffalo team. You you mentioned Ristolainen and, and Dolly, and they have Montour. And I'm really excited to see if, uh, if Carter Hudden can can bounce back. He had eye surgery that he was dealing with some problems, depth perception last season. Could that could that surgery help him find his game? 100%. There's so many – and like, hey, Eichel finally has a player to play with consistently in Hall. I think those guys are going to match up perfectly together. I'm really excited to watch this team play. And I think they can squeeze into a playoff spot. I think they can squeeze into – a top four spot in a very tough division this year. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. And Eichel's kind of out of excuses now as to why things won't work out in Buffalo uh, because they did surround them with a lot of talented players. And as you mentioned, Eric, uh, is it Eric Stahl or jo- yeah, Jordan Stahl? Eric Stahl. It's er- Eric Stahl joining the team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I was just reading that uh, he was encouraging uh, his line mate, Sam Reinhardt to shoot the puck more. So uh, he wants to see more shots out of Reinhardt. Um, and my number one team, uh, you mentioned it earlier, but it's Colorado. Uh, I just think they're the most exciting team to watch in hockey. I really, you know, with the addition of Byram, uh, you've got Kale McCarr there already on the blue line. Obviously, McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, the, the most dominant line in hockey. Uh, it's just, to me, it's the most fun team to watch because it's the most structured team to watch. Like that team the way they could dominate, it really does bring me back to those uh, early 2000 Senators days of, you know, Spezza, Heatley, and Alfredson. And, you know, when that group was on the ice, just how dominant they were, it looked like the Globetrotters at times. And uh, that's what it looks like in Colorado. Yeah, and I mean, I'm really excited to see Colorado. Like I said before, they have a lot of interesting pieces. They've added a couple of interesting pieces. This year is going to be so weird. And I mean... There are teams that I'm interested in watching. You know, I'm interested to see what happens with Minnesota. They've unloaded a couple of contracts. Uh, Pittsburgh, there, there's some question marks around, you know, can these guys rebound? What's the goaltending situation like? Washington's obviously going to be in discussion all the time. But, you know, that central division is going to be the most interesting. The West division as well, because you have, like, what happens with Arizona? So there's so many question marks around the league. But I think these top five, like, these five teams or seven teams that we mentioned, or seven, eight teams that we mentioned, they're going to be the most intriguing, in my opinion. I can see the Rangers, you know, you got caught, you have your second and first overall picks, back-to-back years, Kako, Lafreniere, with guys like uh, Panarin and, and Zibanejad, Strom, and whatnot. So it, it's going to be real interesting what this year happens. And we're going to be so focused on the North Division that, you know, these, these storylines could squeak by. Yeah, and with the Rangers, too, with uh, Shesterkin and Nett, I mean, the, the Calder race is going to be fun to watch, too, because I think we'll we'll definitely have some players in there. So uh, for us, personally, it's going to be fun to follow, but also, you know, for players like Zegras, who we're expecting to be in it, and uh, Shesterkin and Lafreniere, um, you know, all these top rookie players, uh, it's going to be one hell of a race this season and in a 56-game season. So it's all going to be condensed. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun to watch. But, you know, going on to our last segment, we're over an hour, but, you know, a lot to break down. We kind of touched on his over-under earlier uh, in Season 2, but we're going to do it now. Uh, Dadunov, his goals, I think we have it set at 20 and a half goals in a 56-game season. Are you taking the over-under on this? 
Yeah, so essentially, like the 20 goals will work out to a 30-goal pace. Uh, we should break that down first over a full 82-game season. So what we're saying is, uh, is he going to be a 30-goal guy if it was a typical 82-game season? Uh, but of course, uh, you know, prorated to 56 games at 20.5. Um, given who he's playing with uh, in Brady Kachuk, who gets to the net a lot um, and probably will score a fair chunk of those goals, I'm going to take the under on Dadnov. I think he'll score on the power play. He'll do some scoring. He's a guy who could deliver as well, five on five. I don't think he'll be quite at a 30-goal pace over 82, so I don't think he'll be quite at a 20-goal pace. Um, I, I think he'll be just underneath it. So I'm going to go with, like, 18 goals. That's fair, and, I mean, it's going to be interesting. We don't really know any of the line combinations right now because not everyone's there. I, I'm going to take the over. I'm going to put him at, like, 23 goals. I think we're going to see him – I don't even think we're going to see him on the first power play unit, honestly. I would be very surprised if we – I would not be surprised if we see him on the second unit. Spread out to the goal scoring, especially if you want him on that right side. They could say, screw it, we're going to spread out the scoring, put you know, put him with a guy like Logan Brown, uh, Will Landon, Branstrom, like kind of spread out the power play instead of forced like putting – overloading the first unit because we know that doesn't always work out. So I'm interested to see, but I got I'm going to give him the over. I think he'll get some – I think he'll score – I think he's going to score 12 power play goals and the rest are going to be even strength. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So a nice even spread there. Yeah, I think we're going to see him get like about a 50, 50 split on, on the goals. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him, but I, Hey, we're, he's here for three years. So we should get used to him. Yeah. Uh, my, my kind of fear is just that he's away from Barkov and Huberto and just watching back some of the goals, like, a lot of them were high-end skilled passes setting him up. Um, so now he's going to be in a circumstance where he's probably going to have to create his own offense a little bit. So I'm just curious to see where that goes with uh, Dan A 100%. Another question mark that we can look at. And hopefully we'll have answers to heading into the season as people arrive. Before we let you go, just going to let you guys know, Stutzel, apparent, Stutzel is in Ottawa, apparently. He arrived today. Uh, St- uh, Stefan is supposed to be in Ottawa and then Coburn and Paquette are apparently finishing up their quarantines. Then they should be able to hit up, finish the ice this week. Uh, so we expect a full body of players uh, some point in the next week and a half, according to DJ Smith. And we'll be keeping you guys updated. Check out our social medias, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, as we find more information, as more information is released, we'll be able to relay it to you guys. But that'll be all for this uh, episode, folks. Thank you all for joining us. Remember, subscribe to YouTube, like us on Instagram, Twitter, and we have our uh, customized sports jersey giveaway, uh, your chance to win a free kit or any reverse retro. Uh, follow me at Shane underscore Ryan 97, Derek at Dealey 075. Check him out, Sendshot and New Era Sense for all your Sense article needs. And we'll be back here with a brand new episode Thursday, at Monday, Thursdays. And we got two weeks, basically, until our first game. Uh, just about there. Friday the 15th against Toronto. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's about time. Absolutely. Take care, everyone. Have a good one, guys. We'll see you next time.